Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast, co-starring 10-year NBA center Ryan Hollins. Couple pump fakes, leads it, shot blocked by Ryan Hollins. Hollins sent that into the third row. Six rebounds and eight assists. Oh! Hollins climbs the stairs. Down the floor. Ryan Hollins, he is the high jumper. That's what I want to see. Give me some gunpowder and throw the hammer down. And now... Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to another episode of Buecher and Holland, subsidiary Buecher and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buecher. You can also see me and follow me on Instagram at Rick underscore Buecher. He is Ryan Hollins, NBA vet. You can hear and see him arguing with pretty much everyone at ESPN. And you can follow him on Twitter at the Ryan Hollins and on Instagram at Ryan Hollins. Okay, so before we get, and we have a lot to get to, and apologies to those who are waiting for my ode on Oracle Arena. I promise it will be in a podcast coming to you soon. It just won't be tomorrow because having Ryan, it just didn't make sense to do that now. It made sense to do it while he's powering up his computer. That's the sound that you heard. <laughs> it, but no, we have the, the draft tomorrow and free agency looming, and we have Ryan getting into it with Shaquille O'Neal on ESPN over best player. So I just thought, Ryan, we can't pass up doing a session. So here we are. So in reflection, since the you got a lot of buzz from going up against Shaq and Max and Essentially, what you shocked them with is saying that LeBron James is the best player of all time. I think that's what you said. Am I? I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that correct? Oh, we said a lot of things. <laughs> said, but that was one of the things you said. Yeah, that was. We said a lot of things. You, you know, it's funny, Rick. You know, sometimes you kind of just hit TV or radio magic, and you get some gold. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to sit back and appreciate Shaq for his entertainment value, mm-hmm. and. I went back and watched it, and in two minutes, we hit so many hot buttons, it was unrealistic. (laughs) So we go from the Lakers' Mount Rushmore Mm -hmm. to LeBron James to Kobe Bryant to Michael Jordan to the Bulls and to the Warriors in two minutes. Wow. Greatest hits. Greatest hits in two minutes. (laughs) Casey Kasem couldn't do that. That's, That's impressive. If you talk about hitting a a, a, a hot button, yeah. oh, that that was it, that was it. So, upon further reflection, is there any? Do you do you have any? I don't want to say remorse because I know that you don't just say things off the top of your head or say them for effect. Have you had any reflection or second thoughts about your uh, pick of LeBron James? <laughs> what? <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? I guess that the answer is no. Okay. All right. All right. Moving on, because I'm not going to retread uh, that ground. 
We are on the eve of the draft. You and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, your experience wasn't a great one. The draft night. Are you still? Are you still haunted? I think you and I have talked about this. I think you said yes. You are haunted by what draft night? Every time draft night comes around, is that has anything changed? I won't say I'm haunted. I mean, I'm. I'm I've come to a commonplace. Well, you know, your first years in the league. You're very competitive, and I and I mean even beyond the league. I think in college, from high school on, uh, you're always sizing up the next the next. I almost said dog, but I'm almost, almost like a dog. It's like an alpha mentality. Like, mm-hmm. who's getting drafted? Who's the next big man? Who am I going? Whose lunch am I eating? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because the the idea is that if a rookie's better than you, what's your place in the league? where's your standing you kind of don't belong so as a rookie you're trying to make your name and the further you go you're trying to make your name off the next rookies and make sure that they don't uh trump you so you know you watch the the draft just kind of with envy you're just sizing these guys up and it it wasn't a while until i could just kind of you know just appreciate it you know kind of move past it and then you know, as a player, you see guys get hyped up, and it's like he's not that good. And, and you see them get just a lot of coverage. And as a player, it's like, dude, he had averaged five points a game. Or like, well, okay, we'll see that if he does it in the pros. And yeah, uh, you, you just you really, it's just so competitive, bro. You do not enjoy it. So, as a vet, once you're in the league, you're watching the draft and you're sizing up guys. And and have you watched them in college, or are you sizing them up by how are you sizing them up? As well, the longer the, 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 the longer I was in the league, I didn't watch his college as much college. It, it, it mean, I mean, by year like, you know, eight or eight or nine, I, I completely I didn't even know who the college players were. I didn't know who was like, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the earlier in, you're still watching. You're still uh, in tune with who's good, who's not. But the further you are away from it, you, you have no idea who's what other than, you know, probably the top five picks. Can you watch a highlight, one of the highlight clips from draft night and assess either that guy ain't all that like this is this is hype or how much do you need to see to really be able to gauge whether a guy too much is being made of a guy because of what he did at the collegiate level or just maybe you just you see a clip and you get a sense immediately of his athleticism or his physicality or a a certain skill that he may have can you can you make that kind of a snap judgment well, I'll tell you one thing. The one, the clips that would drive me bananas or drive me nuts, and you got to understand when I was drafted, the European players weren't what you thought they were. They're they're like invading our land. They weren't as good. Uh, the college players were scrutinized, and it was it was it was a big deal. And a, a lot of these guys would come over, and they just couldn't play, mm-hmm. and they'd be drafted really high, and they couldn't play. They didn't want to be there. They they weren't motivated. The NBA just didn't mean the same. It, it was a dream. It is a dream for, I would say, 90% of NBA players. And overseas, it's kind of like we play basketball. It's a skill. It's, it's a craft. Well, we maybe it was. It was. It was. It's, no, it's, it's not now. Now it's now it's a universal game. Now they have guys that they look up to. Now you have the Luka Doncic's of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had guys like Vladi Divac. You, you know, we can – Andrea Bagnani. You have a number of these European players who have made a mark. And now that mindset has changed. But the worst thing to come back and answer your question was, Rick, sitting back and and seeing a European player and he's jumping over a guy who's like 
you know, six foot five who can't jump over a phone book. Hmm. And you're just, you're losing your marbles, dude. <laughs> Is there somebody in particular in this draft that you are really interested to see where he goes and what he's about? Because you want to separate the hype from, it's not as if you, you think he's overhyped. It's a matter of, I don't know how good this guy is. He could be good, but he might not be good. Is there somebody in particular that you are curious about on that level? Honestly, the the top guys right now. Even uh, even Zion I, and Ja and Ja. I kind of know what Ja Morant is. I like his skill set. It's just a matter of him developing. He's gonna he's gonna turn it around. There's real quite a lot of question marks on Zion Williamson just because you don't know who he is. Yeah. You don't know what he's gonna be. And I, I tell you one thing, he's not the next LeBron James. Now he's gonna he's a, he's a different animal. He's a different beast. But the expectations are gonna be LeBron. Mm-hmm. He ain't coming out on the circuit like LeBron. He ain't coming, you know, gonna blast Sacramento for 30 points in his first game. He he, he doesn't have those tools, but he he works hard as heck. He works at his game. He's gonna be a different type of project. But I love his work ethic. And people aren't looking at Zion for his work ethic. A lot of common fans are gonna just expect him to be flying through the lane and just yeah, dunking, dunking all over everybody. guys. Yeah. And you know, you pair him with some good point guards. You get some spacing around him, and he'll be, he'll he's gonna have some highlights. But it's not LeBron. And also R.J. Barrett. When I look at R.J., he struggled from the outside, mm-hmm. and everybody's six five, six six. Everybody's long. Everybody's athletic. And you saw even guys like Lonzo really struggle to run offense because they weren't a threat from the perimeter. So you tell me how R.J. Barrett's going to run pick and roll in the NBA when I can go under every screen if he doesn't have NBA range off the bounce. Yeah, I really question that. Now, I'm not saying the kid can't shoot, won't be able to shoot, but if, if you're not a dead eye from that range, the, man, there are going to be some problems. And if you, that's why you even see – Teams like New York stepping up and saying, hey, we're, we're kind of willing to m- trade this pick. And and if I look at the draft, Rick, and I want to know how you feel about this, I think the gems are going to be in the later rounds. I think there's going to be guys that you can get the same talent, hmm. the same match, or the same uh, level of production in a later round. And, you know, I, I think Zion's a go-to, Ja's a go-to. And after that, I don't, I don't really see just to the naked eye, Rick. Yeah, I don't see standouts. What about you? Yeah, no, there's going to be some guys that are that are going to end up standing out. But I look at the bulk of this draft as being ideally quality role players, guys that are going to be in your seven, eight man rotation, but nobody that you're necessarily building around. But there's going to be a couple of guys in that mix, including like, Zion. Uh, I, I'm going to put Zion a little bit above that. I think Zion okay. can fair, be a fair. star. Uh, John Morant, John Morant's simply a matter of, he's, I think he's 175 pounds. You don't have to have the same physique as you once did, but I need to see, you know, physically, is he going to be okay? I'm not worried about his skill set, his speed, anything else. It's simply that, uh, that, that physically, how is he going to manage uh, the league? And we saw De'Aaron Fox, he managed it fine, so I would expect that's not going to be a problem. That's my one question. The guy that I really want to see, and I'll be interested to see him in Summer League, I assume I'll see him in Summer League, is Darius Garland, just because we've seen so little of him. And yet he could be the number number four pick. It could be some somebody jumping up, because New Orleans 
is from everything I'm hearing is making that pick available. And so a guy who played what six games last year, I know Kyrie Irving had limited uh, collegiate career and he did okay, but I just for a draft like this, that seems to me like a dicey proposition. Maybe it's not. Maybe they've seen enough in AAU and elsewhere that the scouting is good. But that's one guy that I'm curious, I'm most curious about in seeing. And there's other, I mean, you know, Cam Reddish. I I worry about the guys that you question their motor. Like that, especially a guy who knows he's going to the draft. Am I, if you're questioning his motor, that just, I if I'm a GM, I don't know that I can go there. Because if it doesn't work out, it's like I told you so. Well, that's you're going to see that you know become a lot more common with these kids and even these American-born guys. Rick, a lot of these players they don't they're not coming from the hood. Mm. And when I throw that out, it's a good and it's a bad thing in the sense of, dude, when I grew up starving, or you played on the playgrounds, or you you got your game from the streets. You play with grown men, your motor's going to be there. Like, it means something different every time you get on the court. And a lot of these kids have been playing AU. They have trainers from day one. They've got a million followers. There are, there are already internet sensations before they even get on the court, bro. And I, I would take that this time to credit Zion Williamson because he works his tail off. He's got a very level head. Uh, he's he, he's a hard worker. Mm. And this dude, his head could be as big as a beach ball right now. That and is it's, very true. And it's not. But there's a lot of these guys that just feel like they're God's gift to basketball. And they they are they are delusional, brother. They are delusional. As a veteran player in the NBA, how many guys do you look at each year when the draft comes around? Because you're basically you're adding 60 more guys to the pot. How many of those guys do you generally look at and say, that guy's going to take somebody's spot? Like, what's the math on that? It all changed. Before you knew certain guys would get cut, they weren't going to make it. There, there'd be no threat. Like a rookie had to like take your job. It was like, it's a, it's a work. It's a rookie, bro. He doesn't know any different. And there was not a fair shot in 2019, 2020, whatever you want to uh, label it. Whether they deserve it or not, they're taking these veterans' jobs. And why do you think that is? Analytically, it's cheaper. Analytically, Hmm. you get more bang for your buck to see these young guys. And if you're not a piece of a core or an older player that's a rotation player, these teams are blowing it up. Now, what I hope and that I'm praying is that the commissioner changing the mindset of the draft lottery – and saying all of you guys have an equal shot at the number one pick. I'm going to penalize you, uh, New York Knicks. I'm going to penalize you, all you tanking teams, to where it's better for you to just be the Grizzlies and play out this season and compete. Uh, and if you don't learn something from the Clippers, if you don't learn something from Brooklyn, that you add veterans, veterans alongside your young players, and your young players learn to be pros. You get more out of them. So... I hope that that mindset is changing because, Rick, I'll, I'll be honest, man. I, I was always under the mindset 
you know, watching the Derek Martins of the world and the Tracy Murrays and the Mitchell Butlers, these guys grew up mentoring me that I was going to cruise in the 15 to 17 years in the NBA by being a good guy, staying in shape and doing the little things. And instead of my mindset, and you, you can blame me for this because I'm going to be accountable, saying pedal to the metal, it was that that's how you were going to succeed and things changed right in front of my eyes. Hmm. I wonder, at what point did you realize, because I don't know how many guys really grasp this, and there's some guys, even now, like uh, Jordan Bell is the first guy that comes to mind, and there's there's been others that they don't they don't seem cognizant of how thin the line is for them between being in the league and being out of the league. And how many years was it before you recognized there's 60 more guys coming in every year? And I know you said it changed in terms of that they're allotted, but I just I wonder how cognizant you were that the uh, the job pool or the, the the candidate pool for a finite number of jobs was being expanded by 60 guys every single year. Did you, did you, did it take you a year? Did it take you the first time? We're like, Oh wow. That like, there's a lot of competition to keep my spot or did you have it right away? When, when did that, when did you grasp that? Right away, I was pedaled to the metal, balls to the walls. Excuse my language right there, Rick. Hmm. Uh, but I, I knew I had to do everything that I could do to stay in the, in the league. And I had a chip on my shoulder to go prove myself. And I, and I knew I, was, you know, I wasn't trying to stay in the pack. I, I was out working you, bro. Like nobody was working like me. And the first time that I felt myself like, dang, I think I'm going to be out the NBA. I don't have that comfort level, that comfort zone. It was when I was in Cleveland and I was traded there. And I was headed to Boston, and Cleveland was playing games, man. Chris Chris Grant said he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Hmm. And Chris Grant was playing all kind of mind games. I like Simeon Dan more than you and watch out. He was trying to do his own, you know, make his mark as a GM. He was just – Chris didn't know what he was doing. He's going about things wrong. He drafted Anthony Bennett. Shout out Anthony Bennett. But it, was, it wasn't – he's not a number one pick. And that was the, a big shadow to cast. Nonetheless, Celtics wanted to trade for me. As we talked about, Chris Grant wouldn't make the trade. He's telling people in my agent at the time, nobody's interested in me. Well, a lot of teams in the league were interested. They just didn't want to make the move because they didn't want to look stupid for me to go on a team and play well. (laughs) Trade deadline passes. I'm not moved. I had to go to Chris Grant with my agent. He said, like, wave me. Let me out the contract. And they didn't think I was going to ask to be waived out of $2.3 million. Dude, wave me. Let me go. So I get out the contract and, you know, I, I think it's called the memoratorium or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. You can't be signed to another team the next day. You've got to wait a week or however many days. But I knew I was going to Boston. And in between that time, mentally, I was like, yo, the NBA is going on right now and I'm out the league. And I know I'm going to Boston, but this is a scary place. No doubt. I'm not comfortable with this. I saw my name fly across the tickers, waved. And it was it was just a really freaky place to, to be in. And Rick, when I tell you I was in in the basement of my Cleveland home doing air squats, push ups on this on the elliptical. Hmm. I mean, defensive slides. I mean, I was getting it in, bro. But I, I had never felt that before. It was it was time to turn up. It was time to go prove myself. I'm so glad you bring that up because I always think about that when I get 
you know, back when we had newspapers and you would see the transactions and you'd see names of guys that were waived or released. And then now it's emails, you know, I get where teams are, are waving guys. And it's usually, it's, it's rarely names that you're highly familiar with. But nonetheless, I always look at that and I think somebody's dream, somebody's basketball dream just possibly ended or has taken a turn that they're not going to recover from. They might go play overseas. They might they might still play pro, but the NBA dream is not likely to continue after they're waived. It's the exception, not the rule, that they do that. And I've always wanted to do a story where I I go and I and I hang with a guy with that first 48 hours after that's mm. happened. And no one has ever like I don't know that guys want to be seen in that vulnerable place. And I get and I understand it, but I've always wanted to capture that because I don't think I think people take it for granted. I don't think they realize that that little, you know, three sentence uh, press release by the team of a guy who's not necessarily a star and probably didn't make a ton of money is like that is a that, that is a monumental event in their lives there let me ask this would you would you rather get a young guy a guy around his prime or an older guy well if, if, if it's an older guy who's already been in the league for a while then I feel as if okay he's you can you can kind of read the tea leaves. It, it it shouldn't come as a big surprise. I think for me, it's the young guy. I think it's the young guy who's maybe he's been a star, or he was especially if he was drafted fairly high and he had expectations. Uh, a um, was it Joe Alexander who was a lottery pick with the Milwaukee Bucks? Yep. And like suddenly, and it's changed now. You know, if you got drafted. If you're a first round pick and you got sent to the what was then the D League, I was like, uh oh, now it's now it's routine. Now they're now they're signing guys to two way contracts. Now that it's it's different because it's becoming a legitimate minor league and they're sending guys sending guys down just to get in shape or to get tuned up and then they're oh, bringing them back. It was the kiss of death before, bro. Oh yeah, yeah. It was the kiss of death. Yeah, no doubt, no when doubt. I, oh oh, I tell I tell you real quick when I went down. Yeah. <laughs> it what, was like yo. So paint the picture. Like, what what was the situation when you went down? One of the worst experiences of my life. Were you with Charlotte? Yeah, one of the worst experiences of my life. It was it was a no 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 no. This ain't cool. You went from the penthouse to the outhouse. What was their no what was internet. their what was their put it like this. team? Put it like this, and I'll sum it up. Kid you not. True story. After the games, the fans feel like you should be asking for their autograph. <laughs> like you should be kissing their butt to get there. So where was their team? Was it Greensboro or? No, we were um, Fort Worth, the Fort Worth Flyers, Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, the okay. Team by now, but it was us, Philly, and uh, another affiliate that was there. I almost want to say Toronto, eh? but I don't think it was Toronto. Okay. So what was the like? What was the rude awakening when you got there? The accommodations or? The court or the uniforms, what, what what was the thing that stood out to you that was so different from NBA, the NBA life? Well, there was no weight room. Okay. My clothes were mildewed every day. Mm. Your there uniform no or trainer. your clothes? 
there was no trainer. Uh, my my uniform. Mm. I, I knew I knew how to wash my clothes. I had that in in my uh in my mind. Okay. Um, and <laughs> Sidney Moncrief was the coach, and everybody was trying to get out of there. And the one thing about Sidney Sidney Moncrief is he's got this old school mentality. We had these ball bruster five hour run your knees off. Fresh into practice, you need to go a thousand percent practices. Really? And dude, it was me and you you'd like this squad. Me, Lou Williams, okay. Bobby wow. Jones. Wow. And Pops Mintsabansu came when I left. And JJ Berea. Wow. And we had a squad. That is a squad. That's a hell of a D League squad. Is uh this is what I was I was always curious about is especially at that time. Again, it's a little bit different now, but it it was so cutthroat and guys were so desperate to get out of there. How could you play as a team? Like how how how, how did you develop any oh, chemistry? Oh, and your boy, your boy was on the team, didn't get drafted. Kalena Azabuki. Is that right? It's the it's the worst play. It's the it was the worst thing in the world. You're in a place that nobody wants to be. <laughs> you're somewhere that everyone's trying to get out of. No, you're absolutely right. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> so how do you get around that? How do you play? Oh man, I, I mean it sucked. And then what <laughs> happened was <laughs> Moncrief wants to keep me on the team, so I'm starting. Yeah. And then, you know, I start I, the first game I had uh, darn near triple double flirted with a triple double eight blocks, 14 points or, or 20 some points, like 15 rebounds. It was it was crazy. It was like I shouldn't be here. I was I was steaming, bro. I was it was like it was like, yo, wake the heck up. You know, Rick, I was always a guy that played hard and was like, nah, bro, you're going to put on a show right now. And Sydney saw what was going on. This is the type of dude he was then. And he starts pulling me out the game. Then he starts like yelling at me over like, well, you didn't deny the post or you didn't do something. And he's like, he's just finding reasons for oh, me he, like to not play just to keep well. you revved up? No, so that I wouldn't get called up. Oh. And I get, bro, I get called up. And Sydney would do this this weirdo thing, bro. And Sydney Moncrief, he's a legend, but I, I, I just didn't vibe with him as a, as a coach. Yeah. Sydney would walk up to you. And you'd be like walking through the elevators or, you know, you get into a hotel yeah. and he'd be looking at you, but he wouldn't say anything. And then like, he just wouldn't say anything. And they'd be like, is there something wrong? And then like, I don't know. And then like, he just keep looking at you. Like, well, what are you looking at? And like, dude, you're staring at me. I don't know. I know there's a movie scene like this, hmm. but it was the weirdest dude. Sydney was nuts, bro. He was absolutely nuts. Oh, Kevin Burleson was on the team too, and he was in Charlotte the Damn. year before with me. So we had a pretty stacked team, and he was doing everything in his power to keep me down there. You should have and, been D League champions. And dude, we meet together as a team. Sean May gets hurt, and then I remember they called me back up to come back up. Uh -huh. And he tell, and my, I'm on my agent. I'm talking to him every day, bro. You got to get me out of here. He's cussing out Bernie Bickerstaff. Bernie's cussing him out. They're going at it. They're trying to do everything to get me out because this, bro, this is no weight room. I'm 205 pounds, bro. There's no weight room. Sydney, uh... I get called up, my dude. And Sydney Moncrief, I swear to God, he goes, I don't know why they're calling you up. Oh, man. I don't know why they're calling you up. <laughs> I've never in my life, he's like, 
Guys, I got some news. Ryan, you're going back. It was the great. It was one of the worst. Ex- oh, so he announced it to the team. To the team, he had to. Hmm. He's like, "Come here, I got some new." And then, dude, I I don't know. He didn't say out loud. I don't know if everybody heard that. But when I tell you, when I got back, Rick, it was probably the best thing for my NBA career. I was diving after loose balls. I was sprinting. Hmm. I was like, if if you thought I already played hard, it was like, it was like my eyes were like like fresh out the pen bro like like <laughs> nba jail like i'm not going back uh speaking of old school you are uh you're playing for the aliens in the big three right yep i had jason maxiel on my last podcast on our last podcast great dude bro he is a great dude. dude he is a great dude he would not talk about and i don't know i i was dying to talk to him about this and i get the sense that it was a mistake you know he went on the Oprah Winfrey network, right? And he talked. Max? He Max went on with his wife and talked about how he slept with three hundred and forty-one women. Hold it was on, like hold, it was, hold on, hold on, hold on, it was like right. an intervention. Jason Maxiel? Yes, a year ago. A year ago, he went he, on Oprah and he, said he slept the, with three hundred. Well, it's the Oprah Winfrey network. Ilya Van right? Zant, I think, is the name of the host. And Max Seal said this on TV? Max Seal said this. And and I was dying to know, like, everything. Like, why he did it. Is he happy that he did it? I'm guessing. His wife, I guess, is a reality TV star. His wife kind of dragged him into it. And maybe she was going to divorce him if he didn't do it or whatever. I, I feel like he got Max is a great... I love this dude. This is a great guy. I like him. I... I from what I knew about him, cover I didn't cover him firsthand, but I covered him in the league. He always seemed like a good dude, and he didn't want to talk about it, so we didn't we didn't broach it. But I can't believe it. It's, that's my dude, that guy Lee. I mean, yeah. great guy. Yeah, great. No, I know, and I'm I'm happy to see that he's uh, he's playing in the big three again. But you are being coached by Tiny Archibald, who will always have a. Uh, a soft spot in my heart because, or I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for him because he played for the Cincinnati Royals once upon a time. And I grew up in Cincinnati. So, uh, that was just before he went on to his, uh, claim to fame elsewhere, particularly with, with, uh, with Boston. In any event, um, you're also playing with Greg Oden and I'm fascinated by where Greg is. Obviously, had the injuries, had drinking problems, come around the, on the other side. What's give, give me the lowdown on on Odin and where he's at. I don't know. I haven't seen him. I've seen some viral clips, but well, you guys are Greg teammates, was, though, right? You think we like had this like practice or training? Camp you haven't had you haven't had anything. No, dude, you guys are behind the. Th- I mean, Jason told me they like they went to guys different cities and they got together and and played. Like they kind of had a training camp. You guys, yeah, any, you guys haven't cool. had anything like that. No, you train on your own. Oh, like, I mean, betting, that's a choice not, that they had. I'm I mean, not betting on the aliens this season. That's I mean, they, sure. they, 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 they had. <laughs> now, I don't know what Greg's looking at, but, but I know from playing against Greg. Yeah, he was the one guy, and I've always, you know, there's like kind of like like when you're a dunker or a big man, mm. there's like this alpha mentality. Like, okay, like like you can't get a dunk. I'm gonna own you. I'm mm-hmm. gonna whatever. Mm-hmm. Regardless. Like I remember playing Portland, I was in the game, and Greg Brennan Roy threw it back to him. He went up and dunked the, the basketball, 
And it was one of the only times I looked up and I saw somebody that big, that explosive, that with that much fast twitch, like mm. rip the rim off. And I was mm. like, yo, I couldn't do nothing with that. Even if I was in Vicente, like I couldn't. And my thing was even, you know, I'm so athletic, you know, I, mean, I was above average one of the freak athletes for a big, sure. you know, that that's what I do. Like I could, I could be late and go contest a shot, go block it. That kind of like, Hey, I could guard a, a large radius around the rim. It's like, bro, I couldn't, there was nothing I'm doing with that. Ain't nothing I'm doing with that. Very interesting. All right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to some reports on playing. Uh, I know Brandon Rushwell, um, when you play, tell him I said hello. He was, uh, got to know him when he was with the, the Warriors, Shannon Brown, when he was with the Lakers. And so you haven't, you have a bunch of intriguing guys on your team, but I'll be interested to see how well you guys do since you've never actually practiced together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. That actually does it for this episode of Buker and Holland, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes or wherever. Uh, rate the show. Just hit the stars. Leave us a comment if you like. Don't leave us a comment if you like. But then screenshot the review the stars and send it to Apuka friends and you will be eligible to win some prizes. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.